0: Welcome back to another Peer-to-Peer feature by the amazing Women Who Lead team. My name is Denise Ash, and I am the event education manager for ILTA. This podcast will be featured in a future issue of our Peer-to-Peer. I am excited because I love the content, the energy, and the encouragement that the Women Who Lead group uh, provides, and I love anything that comes out of that initiative. I'm going to hand it over right now to Catherine Monty to introduce herself and her fellow panelists, but
1: I do want to thank you all for listening. Thanks a million.
2: Thank you, Denise. Um, Hello, everyone. My name is Catherine Monte. I'm the Chief Knowledge and Innovation Officer at Fox Rothschild in Philadelphia. Um, So along with myself and and Jima Kato, who will introduce herself in a moment, um, we work with the Women Who Lead group and profile what we call newly minted leaders women leaders and um, introduce them to the ILTA community, hear their stories, and uh, that is what we're going to be doing today. So we have two uh, featured women today, and I will turn it over to Jima to introduce herself and the panelists.
3: Hi, thank you for joining us. My name is Jima Kato. I'm the Director of Knowledge Management and Innovation at Gibson, Dun & Cutcher out of our Los Angeles office. Um, And we're joined by two great IT leaders today, um, Nikki Lee and Marian Miller. Um, They'll be sharing their stories with us. So let me turn it over to Nikki first to introduce herself.
0: Thank you, Jima. Again, my name is Nikki. I am the IT Communications Manager at Perkins Coie. We're a Seattle-based
1: law firm with a fairly large uh, national footprint. Thanks, and I'm Marian Miller. I am the senior manager of practice knowledge and innovation at Fenwick and West, and I'm based in our Silicon Valley office.
2: Great, okay, we're gonna just dive in with our first question. And um, this is really more on a personal sort of background nature, and I'm gonna start with Nikki. And if you could let us know um, if your friends or colleagues or family members could describe you in a few adjectives What would they say about you?
0: Well, I have two responses to this because I tried to think of it in three words and I came up with a few, but I actually came up with a bit of a tagline, get it done, but with fun. And (laughs) I know that's a little uh, hokey, but in all honesty, I am the kind of person who loves to see things through to completion. And I love to help drive teams to achieve things that they've been looking at doing from a communication standpoint, from a project standpoint. And that's very rewarding for me as well. Um, And I also like to have fun while doing it. So the words I chose were uh, dedicated, detail-oriented, and flexible, uh, because I think that's the key to succeeding with modern teams is having that agility and being able to pick up and go with what you've got.
2: I like the tagline. Thank you. <laughs> all right, Marion, over to you again. Your your friends, colleagues, or family, if they could describe you, what would they say?
1: So I also love that tagline, Nikki. Um, I think "Get it done, but with fun" is is an awesome motto. Um, uh, and and I love that that's the underlying tagline, and then the adjectives were all very business like on top of it. And I relate to that a lot myself, actually. So when pressed to come up with three words. Um, I went with thoughtful, kind and supportive. Um, But there's a strong undercurrent of get it done, but with fun. Um, I think uh, in in meetings, we're often laughing, we're joking. Um, Sometimes it's light humor. Sometimes it's the sort of sarcasm that gets you through something that's, you know, a little sticky. And, um, and I think all of that, uh, isn't reflected as I look at thoughtful, kind, and supportive. Um, but but all of that kind of fits in one package. So um, again, I think get it done, but with fun, belongs on a coffee mug. So well done hey, on that one.
3: We all might
2: right, let's do it. <laughs> this might be our next motto for women who lead. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. Well, over to Gima for next question.
3: Well, um, and I'll throw this one to Nikki as well. Um, so what what did you think you're going to be when you grew up, and and did you accomplish this?
0: That's a layered uh, response, (laughs) Uh, because no, I did not technically become what I thought I would be. I thought I was going to be a lawyer, but, and I am still in legal, so I feel like that's sort of, uh, you know, I stayed in the same vein. But I also loved writing, and I studied uh, political science and philosophy, and I got to write on all sorts of topics that I thought would definitely prepare me for law school, but then I just decided that law school was not really a fit for me, and so I was able to land in a position where I get to do something every day I'm passionate about, which is writing, so sort of yes, sort of no. That's awesome. Well, you know, even though you're not a lawyer, you're
3: still in the legal arena, right, and getting to write about legal things, so it's probably better because you're not billing time, so... (laughs) That's right. Uh, Marion. how about you? What did you think you were going to be when you grew up?
1: Um, So thinking back to what I thought when I was a young child, um, there were sort of three eras. I think the earliest career aspiration I remember was child psychologist, um, which was interesting as someone who was a child herself, kind of wild as a first grader to want to do that. Um, But then professor and lawyer joined the mix later on. And um, I, I am a lawyer, I'm not practicing anymore. Um, add me to the list of people excited not to be billing time. Um, but I think I've actually, while I'm not doing any one of those three things right on the nose, like you, Nikki, I've incorporated what drew me to those things all into a career that I didn't really know existed. So um you know, I'm I'm law adjacent. I'm at a law firm, even though I'm not practicing. Um, the professor piece, I've never been a professor, but I was a lecturer um, at Stanford when I was a law librarian there, and I still go back and teach, and I love doing that. Um, I am farthest away, I think, from psychologist, but, but at its core, I think that's about helping people, and, and that's really a lot of what I get out of my current role and what I've enjoyed about previous jobs. So, um, you know, not not doing any of the things exactly, but um, definitely I see the thread uh, from like kindergarten onward, which is weird.
0: <laughs> no, I, that's, that's I love, really neat. I love that comment, if I could just jump in, because the idea that you have a job that you didn't know existed, I mean, that's very much been my career growth, and I think sort of, maybe it's partly generational or partly just what I was aware of at the time, But prepping going into college. I didn't think about a career in technology per se, and I didn't ever think of it um, in terms of an artistic outlet, like something with writing or communication. And so it never even dawned on me. And so I've had this organic growth through the law firm environment um, over the past roughly 20 years to end up where I am. So I just thought that was so poignant that you said that because- I never could have envisioned the job I have, and I love
1: it. Yeah, and I think so many of us who work in legal tech probably have that experience. Because, you know, when I think of just 10 years ago where things were, the, the jobs were so different. Like the, you know, the staff that it took to support a law firm, it was just a different collection of people. And then you look 10 years before that, and it's like another world. So... Um, it's neat that I think one of the things I like about ILTA and about this women who lead community is connecting with other people who've had a similar trajectory where we're kind of figuring out what we're doing as we go. Um, and that's fine and it's fun. Um, and, and yeah, it's nice to do it together. Yeah.
2: And with everything changing so dramatically, um, in the industry, I, you know, it's hard to catch, you know, keep up and um, catch up. So um, all of this is is resonating with me as well. Um, I think you covered the question I was going to ask. So I think, Jima, I'm going to turn it over to you for your
3: piece. Not a problem. Yeah, definitely. So I know you talked a lot about kind of what your your early childhood sort of aspirations were, but what led you to your career? I mean, so you said that you never even realized that that what you're doing, both of you today, was something that existed. I mean, I think when we grew up, we were all thinking, well, you can be a lawyer, a doctor, fireman, a nurse, whatever it is, right? Very oh. traditional sort of roles. But to if you told your younger self, oh, I'm, I'm going to be a blah, blah in a law firm and do IT and stuff, they'd be like, what? Um,
0: so what led you to do what you did? We'll, we'll go to Nikki. Sure. No, that's exactly right. And I was uh, I started in a role where I was doing docketing and it was entry level. It was in a large law firm and it was busy. And I thought, okay, this is just this is going to be a step to something. I don't know what exactly right now, but it's good. And I got a lot of exposure and I learned a lot about the way law firms operate. And before I knew it, I was supporting uh, document revision and I was sort of deemed as technically savvy, which I didn't really categorize myself as, I was just doing what I knew in Word. And before I knew it, it was like, you know, you're really good with these documents, you're bailing out these, these gremlin style filings at the last minute, you're, you you know, do do you love technology? And I'm thinking, yeah, I really, I really love that I'm savvy with these tools and that I can help people. Um, get their job done, and that led me into a position of becoming a trainer, a technology trainer, and that also was a really wonderful way for me to um, connect with people, learn how lawyers work, uh, gain their trust, help them out, teach them new things, uh, and 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 for business professionals as well, same applies. And it was in in sort of in that role that I thought I would like to be more involved with technology implementation, how we select what we are giving our people to use to do their work well. And that's sort of where it all started. And I went back to school um, sort of to feed that and got a master's degree in business systems analysis. And I worked as a business analyst then a little while after that to really get into user requirements Um, validation, acceptance, and and adoption because we're spending money on technology and people are either saying, I can't use this or I don't like this or how did we end up here? And I'm thinking there's gotta be a way we've gotta gotta get to the start of these processes sooner and do that um, user uh, requirement gathering earlier. So that's sort of how I landed in my most um, recent role before I left legal. So I thought, you know, I've been in legal for a long time at this point. I'm going to try the banking industry and really test my chops, so to speak, with business systems analysis. I soon realized I meant for legal. I couldn't wait to give back. And when this opportunity surfaced, I thought, this is so great. I get to continue working with people, understanding their needs in this way, in a little bit of a different way, um, talking to them about innovation and talking to them about the tools we're adapting. Wow.
3: That's awesome. Yeah. You've worn a lot of hats.
0: (laughs) Yes. Over a pretty long period of time, but yes, I mean, it's so interesting because going back to the earlier point, I would never have been able to predict that. Right. 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 And
1: Marianne, how about you? What led you to your career? So I think um, I had, first of all, what you said, Nikki, about before I knew it, I was doing such and such. I can relate to that so hard. There's so many points in my career where Um, I've had that experience. And I think, instead of a single thing that led me to where I am now, it feels more like a series of opportunities and decisions that I had. And um, throughout that, I'm really glad I kept an open mind uh, and and explored. So like, it's, it's so cool to meet you and talk to you about this stuff, Nikki, because like you're, you know, exploring banking and seeing how that worked and then coming back. And um, I I've had I've also had a few different hats that I've worn over um, my career. Um, When I was in college, I had just started skydiving and I was going to be a professional skydiver. I moved to a drop zone in Florida in my Chevy Astro van, and I was never going to wear shoes for the rest of my life. And I was going to have blue hair forever. And it was all going to be great. Um, and then I found myself missing some of the uh, intellectual engagement and the intellectual community that I think I took for granted when I was in college. and i I ended up finding my way to law, but feeling like I didn't really want to practice. Um, I knew enough lawyers to to know that that didn't feel like me exactly, but close, you know. And a friend of mine who was a mentor, Uh, was so helpful. I I had a conversation with her over lunch where I said, you know, I love research. I love solving puzzles. I love law. I'm not a practicing lawyer. What am I? Um, And she said, a law librarian. And that was the first time I'd even thought of that as a career. And so I took a few classes and loved it, got really engaged with um, librarianship as a career, but also copyright law and kind of how we govern information and who has access to it. Um, I went to law school thinking, I know what I'm going to be when I grow up. I'm a law librarian, you know, and I'm never going to practice law. I'm going to be in a library. I'm going to work with students, um, find stuff. It's going to be great. And then um, when it was OCI time on campus interviews, I thought, well, this is my one opportunity that I have to get the practicing experience. You don't, you don't get to go from, law librarianship back into big law associate life in any there's not a there's not a big current that goes that way there a few people might be able to make it happen but I wasn't confident I could um so I thought well you know I will try out a firm and see how this goes for a summer and then that turned into see how it goes for three years and I was an IP litigator who was you know someone who was never going to practice law I was never going to wear shoes Um, Like, the career path is wild. And so then, actually, um, about three years in, the junior litigation associate life starts resembling more mid-level litigation associate life and less like a librarian. (laughs) Um, Because I think what I loved about being a junior associate is what a lot of people hate. I was just doing research and writing and helping people find stuff all day long, um, which was great for me. Um, So that kind of Again was an inflection point where I thought okay where where do I want to go?" Um, really got lucky there was a a librarian law librarian job at Stanford that didn't even require my moving anywhere. you know I could just stay in one place, so was there for a few years, but stayed in touch with Fenwick, uh, which was where I practiced um, because I really liked the people and you know had good relationships there. They eventually were growing their knowledge and innovation team. And, you know, through conversations, I realized, okay, this is a chance to be at, you know, at a firm I like with people that I know, um, and doing something that's sort of practice adjacent, but also incorporates what I really loved about my librarian work and my teaching work. So, you know, I'm not. Um, arguing with anyone about deposition scheduling or um, dealing with opposing counsel on the phone, you know, dealing with vendors on the phone sometimes, but it's not as bad. Um, And, uh, you know, and so I think, yeah, you just kind of, um, I think going back to what we said earlier, for people in careers that didn't really exist a while ago, um, it's more about the choices you make along the way and kind of keeping an open mind to see what, what appeals? What you want to explore? And then having um, the, you know, having the courage, I guess, to do to do things that are new to you and maybe new to everyone. And also the courage to kind of back off from something that you thought was going to be it, but but isn't. It?
2: Yeah. You know what I think is interesting that I hear some echoes in both of your comments are yeah the sort of the explorer <laughs> approach to <laughs> to things. Um, sort of, as you said, listening to the opportunities, thinking out of the box, being willing to take the chances and trying different things until you found your sort of rhythm and your your niche. And, um, but part of that is also just, as you said, being open to new technologies and new new opportunities. So I just, I loved how you both sort of echoed that with your, with your conversation. Um, so sticking with the career theme um, and building on that, what are you each sort of proud of accomplishing? And this could be in the work arena, it could be in personal, other kinds of arena, um, you can answer it in any way, but just sort of talk about talk about that accomplishment and again, sort of what led to that and what, what you learned from it. So um, Nikki, we'll, we'll start with you.
0: Sure, that sounds good. I recently went through uh, an audit of all the messaging I had written for the last two, roughly 18 months to two years. And I did this. It was sort of self-induced um, uh, growth and c- constructive criticism. I thought, you know, I how can I go from good to great on the things I'm writing about? Because we all know that the attorney world um, is flooded with information, that there is a lot of um, uh, reason to believe <laughs> and, uh, that email is still their favorite way to communicate, uh, but at the same time. Time email is, is overloading them, and they say that as well. And so it's sort of working with your medium and figuring out, well, how do I get um, an attorney to pay attention to this message and what what makes it compelling? So I think um, the I guess the accomplishment for me is knowing that I have taken a function and moved it from a place where we had no data. We didn't know open rates. We didn't know any measure of effectiveness if it was driving action or adoption. And by by using a new tool, I was able to start collecting data. And that data gave me some insight. You know, they are just, data as numbers at the end of the day and you need to contextualize it with um, anecdotes and qualitative uh, feedback and all kinds of things. And you can look at data from other places too to see, um, you know, did your communication go over well? One way to look is if there were a lot of calls to service that's the next morning about it. So there's, you know, ways to cobble together some idea about effectiveness. Although I'm still working on um, getting better at that, but I did have this audit perform to help me dig through what was working, maybe well, and maybe where I could make some improvements. And I was really happy to learn that um, this particular consultant thought the communications were very well written and they were probably um, some of the most effective they had seen in technology writing, which is a little unique uh, because we're writing about tech, which is not always thrilling. And it also generally embodies change, which I think people are feeling a little burnt out on change. So it's like you've always kind of start at a deficit when you're like, we've got some new technology coming. It's like, okay, more change in my life. Um, and so I'm, I'm always thinking about the human side of things. And I wanted to step outside of, of my world for a minute and say, okay, somebody else look at this and tell me, is this even on track? And, and I really am proud of the fact that I, I did come back with some very high marks on those things. There's always room to improve and I never settle so I'm gonna keep pushing for this and I'm gonna try to reach our attorneys better and better with each and every message I help to put together. Um, but that I would think is a very big accomplishment because I didn't have a formal background in communications or marketing or even not officially in writing. So I thought, how do I know how I'm doing? Do I have any idea? So to me, that was very, um, it was a very rewarding experience.
2: And um, it's a great story. and. Um...
0: I think we can all, you know, relate
2: to those challenges and the fact that you were able to sort of, as you said, cobble together these different pieces, and and that you were, you know, I guess I would say, um, you know, um, recognized for for how well that that all came together is, is great. That's a great story. Um, Marion, how about how about you? You may have a personal story that you want to relate, or or
1: either any any story you wish in terms of yeah,
2: accomplishments.
1: I think. In general, so like in work and in my personal life, I am most proud when I'm able to take something that I've been struggling with or something that's a weakness and work on it to the point where it becomes a strength. And um, really the thing that's top of mind for me is uh, I, I used to have a black thumb. I was someone who could kill any plant you put in front of me. Like I'm not even kidding, I've killed succulents I've killed a mint plant. Um, You know, people try to help. It's like you tell people this about yourself, like, oh, I'm bad with plants. And they think they can fix it by telling you what really hardy thing you can't kill. And then you kill it. And then it just feels worse. So um, I wish I could say I decided to embark on this journey of becoming a plant person on my own. But really what sparked it was um, we bought a house And this house came with a lemon tree. And this lemon tree was amazing. It had, um, I I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but it's a um, like a spliced tree. So it has half of it are normal lemons and half are Meyer lemons. And this lemon tree feeds the neighborhood. People will stop by and pull fruit off of it. And it just, it produces year round. It's a magical tree. And I felt this pressure to keep it alive, right? Because... Um, at times it felt like I just bought a very expensive lemon tree with a house next to it because I I was so fixated on not killing this tree. Um, and so I just tried to figure it out, right? I um, like watched a bunch of YouTube videos, a ton of YouTube videos. I have books on pruning, on harvesting, on things to do with lemons, Um I even went to a, once it lived for about a year and a half, I was feeling pretty confident uh, that I could maybe do this. Went to um, a UC Santa Cruz extension class on fruit printing, like fruit tree printing. Um, learned a lot more than I'll ever uh, apply in my real life. I mean, it, it, like, it's, it, it's very detailed. Um, but I learned like a ton and have absorbed maybe 10% of it, and that's been helpful. I have now planted, uh, let's see, so we have two pluot trees, a key lime tree, a peach tree, Um, the lemon tree is still kicking, and some blackberries in the backyard. And we just added a little passion fruit vine. Um, All of them producing fruit, it's wild. And so um, I think, you know, that's probably the most, maybe funniest given that I have killed a mint plant. I've never killed a snake plant. That's the one that is impervious to my my um, ineptitude. But but I think, you know, I've done similar things in work too, right? Where if I identify something that I'm struggling with, I really get a lot out of it when I can get get a lot out of the whole experience when I can work on it to the point where I'm at least proficient. And then sometimes even um, turn it into something I enjoy doing. Uh, it's just really gratifying to me.
3: That's a great, that's a great story. I can relate. I've killed many a plant myself. So, um, <laughs> I, I, uh, air plants in, are part of my, uh, my, my, my kill range. Um, no, but, but right. Yes. I've um, done that
1: too. I've killed an <laughs> air plant. It's, it's is in my um,
3: kitchen. Well, kind of along the same, the same vein. Um, I know you talked about your accomplishments, but have there been any life lessons that you've that you've come away with, either from your work or your other experiences that you've had?
0: Start with Nikki. Um, A a couple, definitely. I think one of them is. um, And and I think this also goes to what I would say to my younger self, uh, progress over perfection. Um, I still struggle with that actually, but it has been revelatory to see how much you can do when you stop uh, measuring against, you know, some impossible standard and you get more done uh, with fun uh, and, and also um, in a progressive way where you can learn as you go. And that's not something that I always thought was acceptable in the professional world, but I've come to see that it it really is. And actually, I probably was in a minority. I, I don't know that everyone uh, saw it that way. But for the longest time, I thought if I don't know something perfectly, I, I don't have um, value add or I don't have something to contribute. But that's really not true. Um, so I think that that, was been, that has been an important lesson because of all the organic growth through my roles and sort of learning as I go and um, picking up new ideas and trying things, explore mentality. You have to be flexible for that and you can't expect perfection uh, every time or the first time. And so that has been a life lesson for me. And I've come to see that uh, oh, amazing things get, can get done that way. And um, so I think that's, that's the big one. Uh, I also think it's important to keep things human in our increased digitization and digital engagement. And that's another thing I've had to think about from a specifically in this role at, as a writing professional. And I'm trying to reach people who are using digital media more than likely to process what I'm trying to tell them. And everyone has got the information overload and um, the screen time numbers are so high and Everyone's so tired, and we're always getting uh, pinged with the next thing. And so I've I've really um, centered myself on keeping my writing as human as possible, remembering empathy, um, remembering that uh, people have their limits, even though technology change does not does not seem to, and um, how to sort of broach those things so we can keep people moving toward progress, but also Wanting to and getting excited about technology, getting excited about the next um, great innovation.
3: Yeah, yeah, those are great. Yeah, especially that that striving for perfection has always been one of those things I think a lot of people try to do in their in their everyday, you know, work and what they're doing. With with sometimes it's a detrimental effect of of the project or the timeline, and it doesn't have to be perfect, right? You've got that that eighty twenty get get eighty percent done what people need. And then worry about the other 20 and 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 fix that. It's always like a continual improvement. But yeah, that's that's definitely a, a good life lesson. How about you, Marion? What what life lessons have you gleaned from your prior experiences?
1: I think one of the biggest life lessons that I've gotten from work and my current role in particular is um, an increased appreciation for how different people are in their goals and their concerns and their perspectives and the strengths that they bring to any given challenge Um, so you know if we take a a work project uh, that touches a practice group and IT and the knowledge and innovation department and you know maybe marketing as well if you talk to all those groups together everybody's going to have a slightly different take on what we're doing and why and and what they're concerned about and um, the same same project, like exact same project, can look and feel really different to all the people in the conversation. And um, I think one of the things that I've learned in my current role at work that's really helpful in life generally is just to be aware of that. And it's not bias in the bad sense of the term. You know, it's like that we just all have a place that we're coming from um, when we're approaching something and being aware of that in others, but maybe more importantly, being aware of it in ourselves, um, you know, as people, as leaders, uh, like, what am I, what lens am I seeing this project through? And how is that potentially going to affect the solutions I see or the possible ways forward? Um, I think trying to keep an open mind um, is really helpful. And I, I can also just relate a lot, Nikki, to what you said about progress over perfection. I think, Um, I, and maybe we're just a small sample size, but I think a lot of people struggle with that. Um, and I found it easier to like tackle that kind of thing, that inclination to go perfection over progress, um, in areas that feel a little safer to explore in, like back to the fruit trees thing. I started just pruning and like just hacking off limbs and you read a book that says you're not going to kill it, I promise. And you just kind of take it. Uh, as true and you hack off a limb and like no one's gonna look at my yard and think an arborist takes care of these trees but like they're alive right and and I think doing that in some areas can give us in areas where it feels safer can maybe be a way to start getting comfortable with that in areas like work where it feels a little scarier or harder um, just speaking personally for me
2: definitely resonates very much with me what you both said um, and with, I think, many people as well. Um, and this is a little bit related. I think you've covered some of this, but I'm going to sort of turn to leadership and what leadership means to us. Um, and to Nikki, you know, what qualities do make a good leader? And again, I think you both touched on this in various ways, but um, maybe you could give another example or two, or again, just um,
0: expand on what you said. Sure. In my role, I unofficially manage up and down. So I don't actually have technical direct reports, but I work uh, side by side, a CIO with his strategic messaging. And I also work with all of the teams within the technology pillar of all their, you know, on all of their upcoming efforts, initiatives, change management um, undertakings, etc. And so I'm, always thinking about how to engage everyone at the table, and it's a different group or person each time. And so again, with the focus on the readers being busy people and having so much to take in and looking for that point that resonates with with each reader in the audience, I sit with this group and I think about the expertise they bring because they are trying to launch something. And to them. It is very important and it might be more broadly important, but definitely to them, this is something close to them. And when I write about it, I I embrace each of those uh, messages or messaging campaigns like that, almost like it was a baby, like, okay, we're going to get this one where it needs to be. And we're going to get that one where it needs to be. And we're going to maximize this message's uh, effectiveness. It's outreach and try to drive adoption and drive change or get people excited. And I really try to treat each one that way, but I couldn't possibly know uh, the ins and outs of all those different initiatives or those strategic goals. So I really love the leadership concept called provocative competence, which I am completely borrowing from Frank Barrett, who um, is both a jazz musician and an organizational uh, management PhD. Um, So in, in this concept, you've got You've got your bandmates, and you know they all have something to contribute. And sometimes you can step back as a leader and let somebody else lead. And when you do that, you can go some really amazing places. Um, maybe it's not always perfectly harmonized, but you know what? It gave way to something that maybe I would never have thought of. So, Marianne, go back to your comment about the lens, right? That's how I feel. I feel like I'm leading these campaigns. We all know where we want to go but I can't do it alone. I need everyone at the table. I wanna hear the ideas. I love brainstorming. I love pushing the limits on creativity. Um, And I love letting other people have that moment to lead the area that they're really passionate about. And then I take my passion, which is trying to write it up in some really compelling way. And that is how we achieve our goals. I think an important part of being a good leader is Kind of, well, one is, you know, shining where you shine, but then also letting others shine where they shine.
2: That's great. I love these analogies of the plant, and the cultivation, and the bandmates and all that. This is great. I love They're getting very inspired. Okay. Um, Mary, over to you and qualities of what makes a good leader. And if you have a story, please share.
1: Yeah. So I think um, I a lot of this is, come up in earlier parts of this conversation, but, um, I think curiosity and empathy to me are two big ones. Um, both really help us understand where other people are coming from. And, and, um, I think maybe an example of like what that means to really approach something with curiosity and empathy when we're, requirements gathering, which sounds very dry, right? Or just, you know, whatever, whatever businessy term you want to use to figuring out what we need to include in the scope of a particular project. Um, It can be tempting to go into those conversations or that exploration with a list of questions. And then the goal is to answer the questions that you have written before you really understood the situation. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, check it off and, and walk away. And I think. Um, I, I really try and I I think I'm most effective as a leader when I succeed in learning more from people who know more than I do about what's going on, you know, what, what is this group trying to do here? What is that group trying to do? Um, And really, in addition to the curiosity and empathy, letting that piece of it, inform what comes next. So, um, I think, Nikki, you mentioned flexibility and kind of thinking creatively about solutions. Both of those are huge for me too when I think of leadership qualities that make a real difference. Um, and, and all of that fits together, right? So it's the the learning and getting to know people and getting to know what they need that can help you be more creative um, as, as you figure out uh, what solutions might be on the table. Um, and then flexibility is just huge because we don't a lot of us are problem solvers. And if we knew the solution at the beginning, it probably wouldn't be the sort of problem that we get called in to solve. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we really need to be learning as we go. And um and that's I think the curiosity comes into that part of it too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, I like I like that. Um and I know we you you probably touched upon it or at least in some way mentioned, but but do you have, so I'll, I'll throw to Nikki first, but do you have a life philosophy? And, and has, it, has it shaped who you are? Or can you talk a little bit about that? Whether it's, it applies to work or, or just life in general?
0: Sure. Um, I think that there has been a bit of a loss of uh, connectivity between people uh, with the increased virtual engagements, digital world and i i I don't need to tell this group i love technology so that goes without saying and um it has had some impacts on the way human beings interact with each other and i go back to some of my um roots when i think about ethics and what it means to um think about someone else and put yourself in their shoes with a little bit of empathy and I think we could all work on demonstrating that a little, um, little more um, committed fashion in the way we engage with each other, um, not just digitally, but also physically now because we live in both worlds. And I, I like to think about the other person the other side of any um thing that i'm doing so it applies both personally uh as well as professionally and again with the writing component thinking about how to relate to people when they get dozens of alerts and hundreds of emails and all sorts of things always ding ping pong all day um, how do you connect with people in a way that's really meaningful and it's it's not easy i don't think i have the solutions i just I sort of set my frame for that. Like, well, think about the other person. Um, What are you hoping they'll uh, get from this? Uh, If you were on the other side, how would you feel reading it or consuming it? Um, And the same thing goes for just day-to-day interactions with people. I think it's super important that we remember everyone is carrying load, um, mental load too. (laughs) And, you know, it's just a matter of making sure that we are um, connecting, connecting in in a deeper way. So that's something that, I think motivates my, my, my approach, my style, um, in all, in, in all of my engagements. Um, and, and so I think that's really important. Yeah. And I, I, I
3: think, um, yeah, you, 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 it's very much so about the, the humanity and sort of the, the ethical you know, just being, having empathy, especially today when like, like everybody's on zoom all the time and, and people are working from home. And so it's hard to connect in person. And so having that mindset that you always have to be aware of, where somebody's coming from, because sometimes it's hard to read body language over a, a Zoom call, right? Um, Yeah, definitely, I can
0: see it, that. Um, it really is, and and, I, and in a communications leadership role, I feel like we have an extra onus to be even more right. careful about what we're saying when and to whom, because we are um contributing directly to the burnout that everyone is experiencing if we're not careful. So, right. and even if we are careful, probably still, <laughs> It's still piling on you know but that is like that's something that just keeps playing over and over in my mind uh, is like you have a responsibility not to contribute to burnout <laughs> yeah
3: definitely. it's
0: real we all feel yeah. it I feel it you know and so I'm like okay keep it human
1: that's good
3: it's good and Marion how about you do you have a, a life philosophy
1: well I think my new life philosophy is get things done but make it fun but um <laughs> when before, if we think back to like more than an hour ago, um, I, I think one of the things that I've heard um, from my grandfather and then from, from my mother throughout my life is to always leave things better than the way you found them. And um, that I, as a child, I heard it more along the lines of like, don't put the empty milk container back in the fridge. Um, But, you know, I think it, it carries through uh, in less less mundane examples too, and um, I think I see a connection with that and what you were talking about, Nikki, with the um, really seeing the human side of things and the the helping that's really at the core of what we do. Um, like you know the your duty not to contribute to burnout, um, <laughs> and I think you know all of us who work in law firms work with really stressed out people who are incredibly busy. And one of the things that I really get a lot out of is trying to make things better um, for, you know, for the people who are, I mean, we're busy too, but but making things better for all the people I work with um, is, is something that's really a driving force and I think all the different uh, phases of the, the career I've had. I can't believe our
2: our conversation is, uh, is going to be wrapping up in a few minutes. I've enjoyed so much this interchange and, um, and um, yeah, conversation, really. Um, so as one of our last takes, we'd like to sort of um, sign off with advice you would give your younger self. Um, again, it could come from any angle that you want. And we um, just love to hear, again, a personal story about that. So Nikki, we'll start with you.
0: Sure. I think I sort of mentioned this, but the reality is, um, I, you end up, um, wasting precious time and effort if you're focused on standards that are perfectionist, whatever that might be in any given, uh, scenario. And I, I don't think that means we don't strive to be really great and we don't have ambitious goals and we look to make improvements. All of that is, um, still very much on the table. I practice, I try to practice those things daily in my work, um, but not letting perfection stop progress. And I've learned a little bit about myself in the last year or so um, that for me, sometimes doing things in small bites or um, small segments of time actually gives me the fill I need to uh, keep working toward big goals. So, you know, you set this big goal and then it is um, exciting, but the other side of it is, okay, now I have to accomplish this. How do I do that? And for me, a lot of times I would say, if I don't have a perfect plan, then it wasn't a good goal. And I'm walking away from the goal, but that left me sort of thirsting because those that, that goals didn't always go away. I had certain things I wanted to achieve in my life. And I thought, I'm never gonna get these done with this mindset. And so knowing that you can do things uh, sort of ad hoc or in short spurts, or uh, I mean, honestly, I'm starting to do more writing on the side, outside of work. And for me, it started with 15 minutes a night and I thought, okay, I can do that. And before you knew it, those 15 minutes were just in the rear view. And I'm like, oh, I've been sitting here for an hour. I this is fantastic. But if I told myself the only way you'll ever get this done is if you sit down for an hour every day, I would have said, well, that's just not possible. And so you create these, there's sort of self-inflicted or self-imposed roadblocks. And they don't need to be there. So I would encourage myself, still do, um, and anyone else who struggles with that to say it's okay to do things in small uh small steps, small chunks, little bits of time, because before you know it, that really adds up it really
1: does great I love it how about you Marion I think if I were talking to my younger self um I would remind myself to to keep doing the things that enjoy that, that keep doing the things that I enjoy keep doing the things that make me happy and and also to keep my mind open to find new things um that you know that I will will enjoy that I don't even know about yet um so i think that works in work uh, i think nikki you and i both had a few pivots in our career where you think oh that looks potentially interesting let me go explore that and then you find out yes or no and then you adjust accordingly right and um I, but i think it also works outside of work too it's a good reminder um not to get Sucked in to you know work all the time, which I think for those of us in the legal field and especially at law firms, that's um, that's that's a pull that we or I at least can feel sometimes. There's always more to do, right? No one's ever going to say, "Oh, we're done." Um, and so if you um, if you have that solid base of stuff outside of work that really brings you joy and makes you happy and keep paying attention to that in addition to the work stuff that's fun too it's not an either or but i think that um that has figuring that out has helped me a lot more with balance uh, than i had earlier on in my career awesome
3: well nikki and marion i want to um thank you it's been a great discussion i can't believe our time is running up but um gosh you guys have some great stories it's been such a pleasure to speak with you Um, And for having you share your journey with us, it's been great. Uh, Thank you again. And thank all the uh, ILTA people who are listening, hopefully, to our podcast. Um, I want to thank you for joining us and stay tuned for more podcasts to come um, with future issues. And I want to thank you all.
2: Take care.